0: Good morning and welcome to the Mana Podcast, Daily Bread for the Daily Christian. My name is Sam Jeske. I serve as the pastor at Our Shepherd Lutheran Church in Crown Point, Indiana. Thank you so much for tuning in uh, on this wonderful Friday morning. Uh, Perhaps it's a Friday morning for you. Um, But uh, with me today, I'm I'm happy to have uh, an awesome guest um, who also happens to be my father, (laughs) Uh, Mark Jeske, who... um, uh, who serves as the pastor of uh, the senior pastor at uh, St. Marcus Lutheran Church?'s um, been the pastor there for a considerable amount of time um, and uh, also um, was formerly the uh, the chief spokesperson and uh, um, preacher for uh, the uh, TV based ministry, Time of Grace. And now he's enjoying a little bit of retirement from that. <laughs> um, so um, Dad, Mark Jeske, thanks for being here.
1: Well. My great pleasure
0: yeah so um, uh, my dad is uh, uh, has been a, uh, obviously a huge mentor for me as uh, I'm very much a green eared pastor and all this stuff and um, and I know that there are plenty of other pastors who've been tuning into this podcast or, or people who are maybe um, uh, uh, maybe trying to turn a congregation around. A congregation that had kind of been stuck for a while, or um, maybe they're they're they got a culture that they're working with. Maybe it's a mission start or something, and they're just trying to get their feet on the ground. And they would love to have some tools in the tool belt for how do they go about doing this. And uh, not all that long ago, my dad had the opportunity to present on. Well, what was the exact the the exact name of this workshop that you did, Dad?
1: Well, it was called. Uh... Urban Ministry, but the subtext or subtitle was uh, Revitalizing an Urban Church, and all the urban churches in some ways are fading or in need of a revitalization, and I just have been thinking about this for 40 years and <laughs> was able to distill some convictions that I have and was happy to have a chance to present them to my brethren in ministry.
0: And I would imagine... A lot of these, if not all of these principles that you're going to be um, distilled um, takeaways, I'm sure that this would apply in a, in a wide amount of uh, ministry contexts.
1: Well, sure it would, because they're timeless principles, and I'm not the first to think of them. Um, I'm just one. I just happen to be the latest person to write them down. And there's probably not an original thought in all of them. I'm borrowing and learning from other people, but it's stuff that I had to learn. And even after attending a four-year graduate school, <coughs> excuse me, even after attending a four-year graduate school, I still, I would, I would say I was only partly educated for what I needed to do in this particular situation. And the, the application of the great things that I had learned was very important
0: Right. Well, uh, let's hear it. We're, uh, we're ready to take notes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it, there are—you know, if you'd have a, a discussion on this with somebody, an ordinary pastor, let's say if there is such a thing as an ordinary pastor, uh, or if, if you had been given the, ch- the opportunity or the responsibility of presenting what's important for vitality in a Christian congregation— there are like givens that of people coming out of our particular seminary that everybody knows and agrees on, and they're all true. Uh, but that's not the reason so many churches of our tribe, uh, we are of the Lutheran tribe, and Milwaukee's just been hammered. There probably are 33 or 34 congregations that have ceased operations in their location uh, since probably World War II. And the reason they failed was not because of one of these ten assumptions I'm going to say. So I'm going to skim right over these, but it's not that I don't think they're important. It's that I don't think these are the reasons why the Church has failed, why they went out of business. So here's, here's the ten assumptions that I call like table stakes. These are just basics uh, that are really important, and you need to invest in them. One of them is that the Word and the sacraments really do work, and you need to trust them. But that's not why the churches has failed. They didn't fail because the word of God ran out of energy in that particular location, or the sacraments only work with a particular people group—the people group you started with. And once you stray out of your out of your uh, people group, that they're going to fail. So the word and sacraments really work. Secondly, prayer is powerful. Prayers of righteous people are powerful and effective. The Bible says, and that's really true. But uh, the reason that these churches failed was not because nobody was praying. Uh, I think the people were bitterly disappointed when they finally had to give up their heritage congregation and the congregation of their parents and grandparents. Uh, It's not that they weren't praying. Uh, In other words, it's not a failure of prayer, although prayer really does matter. Um, A third assumption is that every seminary graduate coming out of our system has been given great tools for reading and understanding and systematizing Scripture. And that's a given, too. It's not because people had the the pastors who were leading these congregations were clueless about the message of the Bible. They knew exactly what the Bible said and were carefully trained in that, and that's, that's an asset. But that's not why they failed. They didn't, those churches didn't fail because there was false doctrine coming out of the pulpits uh, a fourth is that you need to take care of your physical plant the if your church campus looks like a dump you just cannot impress people that you take your theology very seriously either um, the place has to look like people care uh, but that's a given and, and the reason that churches failed was not because uh, you know they slipped up and let their physical plant get run down no The physical plant was getting run down because they were running out of people. Uh, Fifth, got to take care of your own family, and you really need them. Your spouse and your children and perhaps your parents are really an important network for you, and you not only need them for you personally, but you need them in your ministry too. Your spouse is probably your number one partner in everything you do, and you just cannot function if there's a big conflict in your home or your spouse is not aligned with what you're trying to do it's going to going to wreck you but I'm not saying but see why did all these churches die it's not because every one of their pastors had lousy marriages right uh, but it is but it is something that everybody theoretically knows a sixth is that there's great value and power in the traditional hymns and liturgy And it's not, they didn't, those churches didn't fail because they should have dumped all that old stuff and gotten on board with K Love um, type music or (laughs) contemporary Christian music or junked it all and gone all gospel or something. Uh, there, There is great power and value, and you shouldn't just heave the traditional hymns and liturgy overboard willy nilly. You can add stuff to it, but you don't have to throw it all out. Uh, Seven and eight, child discipleship and adult discipleship are very important, and that's something that you neglect at your peril. You've got to be mentoring and training the young, and you have to be engaging your adults to help them grow in their faith, Uh, especially males. um, Adult males do not like admitting their ignorance of Bible stuff, and so they'll often not go to Bible studies, or they'll not participate very aggressively and the reason is they're embarrassed at how little they know and uh, that's why you just got to find ways to create enjoyable experiences for adults around the world but see every sem graduate knows that and those 33 churches didn't die because they quit having bible studies number 9 you got to trust and love your brothers and sisters in ministry you just there is you just can't have um, any conflict in the leadership, you gotta be aligned just like birds in a V flying south for the winter. Uh, they all got their place in that V and aerodynamically they need to be exactly where they are and they gotta all be moving in the same direction and beating their wings in the same thing to get that airflow going right. And you gotta um, really work on alignment, but see that it that's, that's basic common sense, right? that's important but that's not why those churches fail and number 10 is you got to take care of yourself spiritually and physically Uh, you can't this is a marathon it's not a sprint and if you're if you're exhausted all the time or you're depressed or you're um, over dependent on medications or you or you don't sleep well or you drink too much or you uh, you eat really lousy food. Uh, you eat junk food all the time, and you think you can coast on nervous energy. Uh, you won't survive. you got to feel good, and you got to feel good about yourself to keep pouring yourself in, because the job will suck everything out of you. Uh, so those are 10 things that I'd say people already know in our tribe, and, and uh, those are things people are telling each other. But I don't think that the failure of those things necessarily is why the thirty three Lutheran churches in Milwaukee went out of business. And I'll tell you five things that don't work. Um, sometimes these are actual strategies. Uh, one is the faithful cliche based on First Corinthians four verse two. Like all you gotta do is just be faithful. It means show up as a pastor, talk your way through the liturgy, give your sermon, go home and eat a lunch and take a nap, and then you can find quotes from Martin Luther. Uh, you've heard those quotes, haven't you? Like, all I did was drink good Wittenberg beer, and, and the Word does everything. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Uh, that's a, that's a cliché, that that if you just um, maintain the machinery, uh, God will do everything. God will take it from there. But doing the same old things and expecting different results, as they say, is a recipe for insanity. Being faithful is not just not lying from the pulpit or repeating cliches. Being faithful means you're faithful to the Word, but also faithful in the Word that you're growing yourself. Uh, God's Word is a gigantic trunk that you got to unpack, and you don't know enough, and you don't know everything after coming out of the seminary. It's a, it's a lifetime's work to unpack all the amazing treasures that are there and the insights and the people insights, but also faithful with the word. I was if about to say not, that there, there needs it,
0: to be a, there, there's an implied utility or use of the, of God's word. Um, lest, uh, um, you know, I, I think that there are, I, I had a, I had a conversation with someone the other day and, uh, we were talking about, um, uh, Stewardship generally, and stewardship obviously, is that that goes hand in hand with with conversations on faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are also tasked and called as pastors or leaders of a congregation to be stewards of the means of grace. We we're to we're to use and administer these things, not to mm-hmm. sit on them, hoard them, um, um, or bury them. Case in point, you know, you have the the mm-hmm. parable of the the tenants, right? Um, with the mm-hmm. talents, and uh, you have the master who allots different amounts, um, not, you know, all in proportion to, to that which he's given them, not shortchanging them whatsoever. And you have each, you know, you have the two before they, they, they put those talents to work and they, uh, they saw a return. They used them. They, 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 um, they employed those talents. Um, Mm -hmm. the last one did nothing. And, uh, I think, you know, it's very apparent that Jesus highlights that this is not what you should do when it comes to stewarding the gifts that we've been given. And yet it's so we, um, we lull ourselves into this, well, um, by doing nothing, we're being faithful, or by spending nothing, we're being faithful, or um, by, you know, we can penny pinch our way into faithfulness, and that, it's, um, and, or what we'll do is we'll, we'll, um, we'll give ourselves, we'll give ourselves a false sense of faithfulness by comparing ourselves to say, well, at least, I, I, I could have misused these things, therefore, by not using them, I'm inherently more faithful, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, now you're letting fear drive your ministry and you are not any more faithful than someone who poorly spent these things. I, I would maybe contest maybe, I mean, if we're talking in terms of stewardship, whether I've misused them or failed to use them in both cases, I'm not being
1: faithful. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I just have heard that, I just have heard that word way too often, used as a cover for, I don't have to use imagination or do anything different. I, I've been given my orders. I've got to run the machinery. I got I, I know my routine, and I just have to show up and plug away and do the same things. Uh, I, I heard once uh, somebody say that uh, an embarrassingly high number of pastors do not consider growing their congregation as part of their job mm-hmm. and it, it was shocking but true I, I, I believe maybe half maybe more than that they just think I my job is to my job isn't to grow my congregation my job is to preach the word mm-hmm. and that's a dangerous um, set of alternatives you're pitting things like against each other like it's a choice um, you need to to gather a crowd as big as possible, and that's being faithful. Anyways, the second thing that doesn't work is blaming God. Like, if it's God's will, my congregation will grow. If he doesn't, if he had wanted us to grow, we would have. Uh, So if we're shrinking, that's uh, that's all part of God's sovereign plan. It's sort of um, a a cheap kind of Calvinism of determinism, and oh,
0: absolutely, like we're,
1: like we're elected to be small or something like that. And a third one that doesn't work is fatalism, masquerading as piety—that we're oh, destined yeah. to be small. Uh, that it's—it's it's like, well, we're we're shrinking and we're small because it's the curse of our age. Nobody wants to go to church anymore. And after all, uh, Jesus said, "Have no fear, little flock." <laughs> so my my smallness. Well, that, so that means that I'm doing my job because they hate yeah. us, and yeah, so right. we're this. We're a little survival band hunkering down in a bunker uh, because the nuclear winter has blasted above us, and the culture is trashed and secular and hostile to Christianity. We're just a little band huddling for warmth. And Jesus said, "Have no fear, little flock." So we must be doing our job by. Uh, we're fulfilling his prophecy as though our smallness is a badge of pride, and and it makes you, accept, organizational smallness as as as, as, as pious. But it's it's a form of fatalism, right? Uh, and that I think it I think that's that's uh, that's one of the causes of. Why churches would disappear is is you accept smallness as as your destiny. In fact, even maybe even in a sick sort of way, God pleasing. Another uh, thing that does not work is letting all your leadership energy be consumed in just tending the existing flock. Uh, and you that you serve your members only. If anybody wanders in, fine, welcome. You can if you can stand us, we can stand you. Except that. Outreach rarely happens all by itself, rarely, rarely, rarely. You've got to go get it, and it doesn't come to you. And there are a thousand things that come at your church organization every week that demand all cholera and for attention. And if you're not careful, you can let your whole life be consumed by that instead of intentionally um, finding ways to meet new people in your community. And the fifth thing that doesn't work is waiting for transfers to come in from other congregations.
0: <laughs> uh, yep. Sound familiar? You've well, heard that? No, no, no. I, I, I was reading, um, oh, I can't remember where this was. I don't know if this was the Gospel Coalition or um, oh, some other, um, maybe it was an article by Jay Warner Wallace. I can't remember, but they were talking about the, the, the toxic lull of... Uh, um, waiting for transfers or, um, or the false sense of confidence from transferring members, um, where, you know, you have people within your, your, your church tradition, just hopping from one church to another and you feel like people are coming in and then it, it kind of, and, you know, you know, money's coming in or offerings are coming in and, or new people are coming in and there's this sense of freshness, but you really haven't actually reached out to the lost. That's right. Just people are dancing around um, from, you know, they're waltzing from one church to another.
1: Way back in the 80s, um, a church went out of business about two miles west of my congregation in Milwaukee. And I used to hang around with the old guy who was the pastor there. Nice guy. He started his ministry in the 30s in Nebraska at a very tough time in the Depression. And... They were really poor, and they struggled and lived, uh, ran their church off a fumes. So very tough people who loved the Lord and loved their ministry, and yet he just could not understand why his church was evaporating because he kept transferring members to other churches farther out. So he was waiting for his supply. He was waiting for the truck to come in with his supplies of new members to replace the ones he was given away who had moved farther west. And after his church closed down, he came to one or two or three of our pastoral conferences, and I still would hang out with him and I'd talk with him. And he just looked at me with this hurt look in his eyes and he said, Mark, nobody transferred in anymore. (laughs) Uh, uh, Like, my, my, somebody's cheating. I got, we got cheated. Somebody is not playing by the rules. Like, where's my transfers? And, I, I felt so sorry for him. I, I, my, I was paralyzed. I could not, I could not engage him on that subject because I was afraid what would come out of my mouth. So <laughs> I just, I just yeah. looked kind of hurt and I, and I said that really, yeah, I bet you really felt kind of betrayed over that. And, and he he bitterly complained about that for a while. But the poor guy thought that's how you do this. Well, anyway, enough negative stuff. Here are ten things that I learned that I did not know when I came out of the seminary. Uh, Number one is, well, something I actually did know but didn't quite grasp it or believe it, It, like I had to learn it. Uh, But I, I heard it not as part of the regular curriculum, but I heard an African missionary say once at a conference that regarding the message nothing is negotiable but in the way that the message is delivered everything is negotiable yep
0: I, I, that is a very well said there was a an lcms brother who said uh he used the expression delineating between sand and granite and sand can be here today and gone tomorrow and that stuff is like you would say negotiable but your granite that which you build on that's non-negotiable
1: yeah God has given us his priceless word, but he leaves the distribution system building up to us. And it's our job to figure out how to connect with people. There is a great uh, passage in First Chronicles, I think it's around chapter 12 or so, where David is um, receiving all the tribes who finally come over to him, and, and they finally, after years of being hostile to him, accept him as their king and they go through tribe by tribe listing all of the contributions of warriors to David's now growing army in the south in Judah and there's only one tribe that's different the tribe of Issachar is different and they're only the only thing that's mentioned about Issachar is it said 200 chiefs men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do and I thought, that is the best definition of leadership I've ever heard. <laughs> in one little sentence, you get what's going on in our world today, and you, you are ahead of the pack because you know what's the next move. You know what the, the herd ought to do and where it ought to go. Right. And and that, I think, is what this missionary's maxim meant, is you have your uh, wonderful message and now you're going to be flexible and you know what to do or at least you know what you're going to try to help drive it out there and the methods you use of how you bring the word <clears throat> are not the doctrine themselves they are simply the way you're delivering it so you don't have to water down your message when you decide to change things up in your church the message is like a rock but the the should give yourself complete freedom in the way in which you bring the message to the people of your changing situation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's that's one key, key reason why those 33 churches failed, is the churches could not change and flex it up to bring the Word in a way that made sense to the new people who were living around them, who were not, who had different behavior patterns than the people 100 years earlier on whom the church was originally built. Yep,
0: a lot of the, uh, oddly enough, a lot of, um, you know, the, the five things that you listed before were um, that you don't want to do or attitudinal cultural dry rot that can get into a congregation. All um, I'd say the wide majority of those in some ways reflect a, um, a detachment from the immediate ministry culture. Or the immediate community that they've been called to serve, or an obliviousness to culture, or failing to see that we are in gospel pursuit of a moving target. yeah And um, it's like, yes. and so we get this idea that like we're just sitting, we're we're not, we uh, you know we're, we're standing stationary, shooting at, and again a crude analogy, shooting a stationary target when actually when actuality we're like you know native american hunters riding horseback running after bison you know it's it it and i again a crude analogy but the thing is is that one is most certainly harder than the other but that's the name of the game um not and so you you wonder what then why you know nobody's coming or nobody's hanging out or and then what what you end up doing is um uh, like you were saying, uh, with these these blaming things, or the the fatalism, or or blaming God and saying that He is, you know, we've been called to be a small, shrinking church, um, or um, or like you said, even um, you know, number four on your list was letting the leadership, or almost encouraging the leadership to 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 channel resources, time, energy, and attention specifically, if not almost near exclusively, to. Um, Current membership, no thought at all consideration to um, new people coming in. um, And then you wonder why people don't come. Mm -hmm. Um, Yep. So, all all well said. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Well, that's number one. Number two is I believe that you will succeed, especially in cities which are change leaders. The larger the city, the greater the pace of change. Uh, Cities are the megaphones of culture, and uh, they are the ones to change first, and then it works its way upriver to the medium-sized cities and the small towns, and then eventually working its way out to the more rural areas. And you will succeed in cities to the extent to which you connect with people not like you. And if you can't do that, if you only can find a stratum of people who look like you, think like you, and come from where you came from and have uh, like an invisible bond and you find trying to find a common bond, but you can only deal with people just like you. That may be how you start a mission where you find uh, people. There are churches, Baptist churches in Chicago, for instance, that ironically all come from the same county in Alabama. Somehow, those people as they went up north (laughs) all found one another no one felt like home they talked with the same kind of dialect and accent they liked the same kinds of foods they had memories of the of living down south and they could talk they knew some people who knew people that they knew so there was a common bond but that is not a strategy that's a beginning strategy that's how you first claw together your beginnings but you um once you've been established, you can't be horizontal in just a little narrow stratum like that. you got to now raise that axis vertical, and you got to figure out ways to connect with people who are not like you. And that's really hard work. A lot of people don't do it because they're lazy, and a lot of people do it because they're ignorant. They don't know how. And and worst of all, they may not even want to because it takes effort. And, and it also means you are have to be willing to allow new people to change you. You may think, well, we got the greatest right. message in the world, so I'm here to help you and I'm going to change you. Well, are, you have no business saying I'm going to change you unless you open your heart and allow that person to change you.
0: Yeah, there's a there's a significant da- yeah, oh, that's a, there's a significant danger when um you know, I approach an interaction with anybody with with hubris to that degree where I've I have nothing to learn from this person. Um, where they just, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't think I could say it any better than
1: you, how you said it. Well, well said. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks. Uh, a third one is, is sort of related to my first point. Um, I call it embracing disruption. Every business that I have studied gets disrupted and it must keep disrupting itself or it's going to go out of business. And man, this COVID thing is a pretty good example. If you read any business papers or business journals or go on any business sites, the it, the COVID is disrupting every business in America. If you fight it and you try your best to ignore it or keep patiently waiting till, to go back to the way the things were, uh, you're going to get your lunch stolen and run over it you got to adapt uh, to people and changing situations. People are fickle. They can't always tell you what they want. In fact, when you take polls, they may tell you what you think you want to hear. But the real study is to see how are people behaving. And uh, as you said before, I liked your analogy. Uh, you're It's a moving target. And you need to embrace disruption and disrupt yourself before the marketplace of religion disrupts you and, and your church goes out of business. There's a saying, no margin, no mission. Meaning, if, you're, if your business of the church does not have a positive cash flow, you will go out of business. Yeah, uh, Churches cannot run without money. They, you can have a circle of Christian friends that enjoy hanging out to, with each other for free, but that that isn't much of a congregation is it that's just a little a little club but in in order to drive a larger organization you have to have okay you have to be profitable if you want to put it in business terms so to stay in business you have to embrace the disruption that's coming right. along and preferably not wait till you get trashed and everybody's leaving you and now you're in a downward spiral reversing The death spiral gets harder, the steeper that curve of death is. The thing to do is to disrupt yourself before you're at death's door.